0: This is Live from the Table, recorded at the world-famous Comedy Cellar. Coming at you on SiriusXM 99, Raw Dog, and on the Laugh Button Podcast Network. Dan Natterman here, coming to you via Zoom from Tel Aviv, Israel, where I'm here doing some shows, but I don't miss podcasts, if humanly possible. So here I am on Zoom. It's 12.45 a.m. as we record here in Tel Aviv. Uh, I am within the studio uh, in New York, where it is only... Five, thirty-six, whatever. Anyway, I'm, 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 I'm falling asleep here. Uh, Noam Dwarman and Piriel Brand. Shalom, Shalom. Noam Dwarman is the owner of the world famous comedy seller. Piriel Brand is a mother. She is a comic. She is a writer. She is a producer though. Noam questions that, that uh, designation, but we'll go with it. Um, it's a little dark where I am actually, now that I'm seeing my, uh, okay. That's
1: okay.
0: Anyhow. Um, Yes. I'm coming to you. It's 1240. It's 1236 rather a.m. here. So and I'm still like all kind of jet laggy and whatever. But uh, but um, here I am. How how are things back in New York? Are you holding down the fort? Can the place survive without me is the question. It's
2: just not the same without you, Dan. It's just not. I mean, he came in here on such a tear. He didn't even say hello, was complaining. Why are we doing this on Wednesdays again? Was trying to make me go out the window because he was sitting in traffic and then was okay. hu- you see above the air conditioner no, you can't actually see out the window and then was huffing and puffing that you were like 30 seconds late
0: i was having an issue with google because when i well, logged on at google you didn't follow-
2: did look at him i mean it's like you can can you see the street can you get anything see
1: the street it doesn't matter doesn't matter doesn't matter doesn't matter dan um uh why are you in israel I mean, well, I are I you either a Jew to... thing, or is this a oh general question? Uh, I'm in Israel to do
0: shows for Jews, which is most of the people that live here. Uh, the Those Jews that speak English as a first language, generally speaking, are the ones that come to our shows. It's who's Avi our,
1: Who's our show? Who's the well, Avi? Avi
0: Lieberman is the host. Uh, is Avi
1: there? Yeah,
0: well, he's not with me right now, but he's oh, here. Yeah. He's in his hotel room. <laughs> Avi,
1: Lieberman. <laughs> uh, Avi Lieberman had a. T- is, is he under the table? Avi Lieberman had a terrible accident.
0: Uh, is he okay? He is. Yeah, he's. He, you can't tell. Uh, he does have some hearing loss, unfortunately, in one of his ears. Had it been a Walmart truck, he would be a very wealthy man. All but right. It was so, not we have,
1: a so we have this. Don't 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 tune out, everybody. We have an anti-racist uh, spokesman is coming on the show today. Correct. No, yes, uh, Tim Wise, uh, Periel, did you double check to make sure he will be coming?
2: I certainly did. did, and um, he will be coming.
1: Now, now, uh, now, what's your what's your interest in the anti racism, Dan? Well,
0: my interest in it is that is that I think that you and him might have some some sparks flying. Um, well, it's 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 obviously a relevant issue. Yes, uh, I'm not quite clear what anti racism. I mean, we're all pretty much against racism. But I mean, I'm not sure about Periel, but the two of us. What do you are. mean,
2: pretty much against
0: <laughs> anti racism? Is is sort of another thing. I'm not exactly sure what it is. So I think we're going to try to get to the bottom of what exactly anti racism is. Uh, Tim Wise,
1: who is going to be our guest. Um, it's such, I believe it means if, if you're not living every every day um, affirmatively fighting racism and checking your privilege. Then you are a racist. I I, I don't think that's. Um, I'm not trying to be flippant. I think I think that's actually what it means. But we'll we'll find out um, from the horse's mouth when he when he comes on. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a big. Uh, it asks a lot of every human to fight the evil of
0: racism. And Tim is a big believer in systemic the existence of systemic racism and. He is a he is a big advocate of diversity. Um, so uh, these are things I think that you.
3: Listen, I'm an
1: advocate ha- of diversity. Look at this show.
0: <laughs> well, you're an advocate of diversity <laughs> when it happens naturally. You think it. you've described it as a happy side
1: effect or, or I don't know how you phrase I, it. I, I, my my, my a happy byproduct. Listen, I have the most I, I believe I have the most diverse um, life of any white person I know. I have more diversity in my life than anybody I know. Wouldn't you agree, Dan? Than any? Well, I don't know who you know,
0: but you do. Anybody, yeah, you have a fair amount of diversity insofar as your wife is not white. Your friends
1: uh, also come from various uh, backgrounds. So, um, my friends, my my band, my family, my my wedding was like um, I, I, I dare say it might have been fifty percent non-white. Um, <clears throat> so. You know like i i let's see what i i maybe I, you're I, an anti-racist um no i don't but well, we'll see what it means but i so like i'm always i'm always uh, uh, upset when um i get lectured to but let's see let's see what he says let's see what he well, says. that's why i
0: invited this guy on because i was anticipating some degree of friction which can make for a good podcast i i I hope you keep it civil because I'm sure there will be disagreements.
1: I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that if, if everybody were living as uh, my lawyer, um, oh. I, I'm going to have to take it later. If, if everybody were like me, which sounds egotistical, then my method of living my life would be very effective at achieving all the things which the anti-racists want to achieve. And I, and I'm able to do it without, well, whatever it sounds, you know, that there's more to it than that. So I was going to drop that line of thought because obviously aspects of society that, that wouldn't be addressed by that. So, okay. Never mind. Hey, by the way,
0: I, I I've been away. I haven't been away long, but I've been away far and somehow it feels like I've been away long because I'm so far away. But uh, the reality is, is I was, just at the Comedy Cellar a few days ago, but uh, any interesting things, drop-ins, uh, famous people, um, things that I've missed in my literally only three days out of town.
1: Uh, no, but Glenn. Glenn. Speaking of anti-racism, Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter are doing an event today at the Comedy Cellar, starting now. I'm 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 going to miss part of it. Um, so that's uh, it's kind of uh, kind of interesting that while we're talking to a Tim Wise. On the Comedy Cellar podcast, Glenn Lowry is on the stage at the Comedy Cellar, you know, doing a show. So it's a, ni- it's a nice, it's um, well, maybe
0: maybe just say who
1: Glenn Lowry is, because I don't. I I suspect your average Rod Dogger uh, well, doesn't. Lowry is a, is a uh, professor of economics at Brown University, but he's also uh, Tim Wise He's also a, um, a a kind of known for being a, a a conservative when it comes to race issues. He's black. And John McWhorter is—I'd say—he wouldn't consider himself uh, conservative, but he's—he's he's cast that way. He's—he's he's to the left of Glenn Lowry, that's for sure. But oh, okay. Mister Wise, Mister uh, Wise, would Mr. you like Wise? me to do the
2: yeah, intro, yeah. Dan, or do you want to do no, it?
0: No, why, why would I want you to do the intro when the intro is my thing? Yeah, go no, let him admit him. <laughs> Hello, Tim Wise.
2: Hi, Tim.
0: Can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me? We got you perfect. The audio is perfect. Thank you for coming. Uh, Let me do a brief introduction. Tim Wise is an American activist and writer on the topic of race and a consultant who provides anti-racism lectures to institutions. Uh, Welcome, Tim. I believe you're coming to us from Tennessee. Is that correct?
4: I am from Nashville. Yes. Uh,
0: Let me just briefly introduce you to the panel here. I'm Dan Natterman. I'm a comic uh, I don't know how many uh, how many laughs we'll have tonight, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> Noam Dorman is the owner of the Comedy Cellar. Noam, where are oh, there, there. You are. Uh, and Periel Ashenbrand is our producer, but there's been some controversy as to whether she truly produces anything. Uh, mostly, she books the show and provides some on-air commentary.
4: She did a good job with the emails. Uh, so I'll give her that much. You know, she got she, she got heard, that part. Now. But Thank the,
0: our you. Tim. Love, our guest lover, our guest lover, as a general matter. Uh, all love I guess I, lover. I will say I want to warn you up front, Noam and you might disagree, but hopefully you'll come away with a mutual respect for each other. Noam will probably invite you to come to the comedy cellar when you're in town. Whether that'll ever happen, I don't know. But
4: uh That's great. Uh
0: but let's begin the show. Uh, okay. uh Noam, do you want to uh, do you want to dive right in? Uh go, to, go ahead, Dan. Uh uh, we, we were wondering well, we were wondering you you, you let's uh, start with definitions you qualify yourself as anti-racist of course we're all against racism here well here on the podcast and I think most people are or at least they'll say that what is the difference between just being um against racism and an, uh, and an anti-racist
4: yeah well you know it's tough I mean I think that everyone says, uh, or most people, you know, say that they're against uh, racism. You know, Donald Trump famously says he's the least racist person in the world, which, of course, is a little, little, little not accurate. But um, uh, you know, every, every white person says they have black friends, and we're usually lying. We can't name them when you ask us their names. Typically, we don't have them in our speed dial. But um, I think that the difference between saying that you're, or even being against it, like at some abstract level. And really being anti-racist is whether or not you actively challenge not only individual racists that you might encounter, it could be family, friends, colleagues, classmates, or whatever, but that you actively challenge systems of inequality and racial injustice that exist in the society. And, you know, it's the difference between, for instance, I mean, I'm from the South. I live in Nashville. There were a lot of people during segregation. My grandmother would have been one of them who, you know, would never... have have thrown things at the sit-in protesters or called them the n-word she you know that would have been tacky to her that would have been awful that would have been horrific and she wasn't racist like that but she also complained about the sit-ins because as my mother explained it to me she said "Ah, I really wanted to go shopping downtown this week and now I can't because the negroes are protesting or whatever and so is she is she against racism? I guess like at the level of hatred and bigotry, but was she challenging the systems of racism? And the answer is no. So I think you know lot, lots of white folks in the South during the period of enslavement didn't own people, but they didn't challenge the ones who did, and I think that's the difference.
1: So, oh, go ahead, Dan. You want go ahead? Mark, you have more? No, no. You you were about to say something. Okay, so so just let's take it no, step, no. step. So. Um, just as a matter, you know, this isn't the heart of the matter, but on the issue of having friends of the other race. Yeah. What does it mean if a black person doesn't have white friends? Is that also criticizable?
4: Um, well, I think the difference is, and it's interesting, you know, the data on that says that about half of black folks say that they don't have any white friends. Uh, now, I don't know how many might have Latino friends or whatever, but about half say they don't have any white friends. I think the question isn't really about are people not having friends because they're overtly racist. I think most white folks or black folks or Latino folks or Asian folks or whoever who don't have friends that are of a different race is not because they're bigots. I think it's actually probably because we've been we've been spatially isolated from one another in a lot of ways. And so sometimes the opportunities to even make those kind of friendships aren't there. So in other words. That that individual lack of connection, I I don't want to ascribe that to being bigots. I'm I'm not saying that. I think it's mostly because of the history of institutional racism and the separation that that has brought about, which makes it where right now, like 80% of white people live in neighborhoods with virtually no black people around. And the only thing that I think is something that we can say that's different about a white person not being around black people versus a black person not being around white people is that when you ask white folks what our preference is for our neighborhood in terms of what we consider a good mix, we know from the research that when a neighborhood gets to about 8% black, that's when white folks start leaving. And it's not because property values went down. It's not because crime went up. It's because that apparently is the point where we get a little freaked out. Black folks, on the other hand, say they actually prefer neighborhoods that are like, you know, 40, 60, 50, 50, 30, 70, well racially mixed. Now it's hard to get those because if black folks want to live in that kind of neighborhood and white folks freak out when it's 8%, you're going to have a difficult time meeting everybody's needs. So I think there is certainly a greater level of bias that is evident in those those white spaces. But I'm not saying that if you don't have black friends, it's because you're a bigot. It's probably because unfortunately, the history of the country hasn't really put you in a position to get to know people. I was very lucky growing up in, in Nashville because uh, I was growing up and going to you know 40% black schools, playing on black ball teams. I went to preschool at a historically black college. That was like my first early childhood ed experience. So I was the white kid who actually did have black friends. Like that was all I had for a number of years. There was like one white guy, he was okay. But like for the most part, I hung out with black kids. And that's a rare situation. Most white Americans don't have that. Yeah. I, I think we'd be better off if we did but we don't have it.
1: Yeah, I mean that has been my but what you describe is not really my experience but but not the neighborhood's not withstanding and and I would say that there seemed to be a lot of animosity about white people moving into Harlem um in New York that
4: long before Because they are trying to make the drummers stop drumming in the park. I mean there there are some things that when I, you move in you I, that was never the reason I heard. I heard what I heard was
1: that and I and I never faulted it is that they wanted to keep it a a culturally black neighborhood. I, di- I didn't take it as a bigotry. I I I understand that sentiment fully. But um, I just remember very much when I was in college. <clears throat> I went to Tufts, and there was uh, two black people on the on the floor. And I remember trying to get the the black people to to join the rest of us who were all friends on the floor when we would be doing something after you know on the weekend or having something, and. They weren't interested, um, and 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 I've seen that play out time and time again. That it's actually um, the, the quite often the the black people who feel less inclined or less comfortable or for whatever reason.
4: Right. Again, I, I, wonder, I don't criticize well,
1: this. But I I don't, I don't find anything. There's nothing objectionable about it. Objectionable about it uh, to my re, in my reaction or my mind. It just doesn't what you're describing just doesn't line up with my life experience that's all well
4: since we're talking about life experiences as if that was you know quantitative data well um,
1: after 60 years of, of experience right.
4: Um, it's not nothing, but 60 years of anecdotes are still 60 years of anecdotes. I've got 53 years of anecdotes. So they're almost the same. My point being, the data says white folks leave neighborhoods at 8%. That's not my perception. That's not my belief. That's not my experience. That's what the research actually says. And black folks don't. So, so what I'm trying to tell you is there's a difference in the
1: behavior. Well, yeah, but you're just there's a
4: different and, and since you brought up the personal experience though, look I, I went to Tulane a school that's somewhat similar to Tufts. Yeah. And there were black kids on my floor. They didn't want to hang out with us either. One of the reasons was we were sitting around smoking weed out of three foot bongs and they wanted to stay the hell away from us so they wouldn't get arrested. So they had a really decent reason to not want to hang out with us. And I think there are some fundamental differences when black folks feel disconnected from white people, not really sure how white folks view them, Wanting, especially at a school that's overwhelmingly white at a school like Tufts, at a school like Tulane, at a school where they are clearly outnumbered, yeah, they're gonna stick together. It's like I was one of seven Jewish kids in public school in Nashville. We sort of hung out because we were afraid the other folks were gonna come and try to make us pray. It didn't mean I didn't like Gentiles. I just sort of knew I needed to keep with my tribe a little bit and the black folks who were also often excluded.
3: Racism everywhere. Who's the maddest people? White people. Not y'all, y'all all right pay money to see me, we cool. (laughs) The feud is over. Now, you watch the TV, you watch like 60 Minutes and shit, you see white people pissed off, man. Mad, the white man thinks he's losing the country. You watch the news, like, we're losing everything. We're fucking losing. Affirmative action and illegal aliens and we're fucking losing the country. Losing, shut the fuck up. White people ain't losing shit. If y'all losing, who's winning? It ain't us. It ain't us, have you driven around this motherfucker? It ain't us, shit. Shit, there ain't a white man in this room that would change places with me. None of you, none of you would change places with me and I'm rich. That's how good it is to be white. There's a white one-leg busboy in here right now that won't change places with my black ass. He's going, nah, man, I don't wanna switch. I wanna ride this white thing out, see where it takes me. That's right, so when you white, the sky's the limit. When you black, the limit's the sky.
1: But I would ask you a favor, if you would, when the sure. show ends, can you send me links to that data?
4: Sure, I'll. I'll if they're footnoted in my books. I'll find the stuff and send it to you. If you can, Absolutely. because sure, glad
1: to. You know, I I understand the dangers of anecdotal information, but uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes there is something to what you experience in your life, especially because you experience it with many other people simultaneously. In any case, this is my this is my um, one of my questions about anti racism. What is the vision that you have for America in, let's say, 2040 in terms of,
4: yeah,
1: um, would the law still separate? Will we still have different laws prioritizing different races? Will cultural appropriation be a permanent thing that we're against? Um, Will we, we'll, we'll, uh, um, counting up um, percentages represented in various places and, and comparing it to the population at large, right. will this be something we'll, we'll always do? Like, or is there, a, do you, right. is there a vision of America where race becomes irrelevant?
4: Um, well, I think that would be great um, to have that America in the sense that it wouldn't matter substantively and materially. But I think we don't artificially get there. So for instance, there have been a lot of folks over the years who have said, well, you know, if we just stop checking the boxes on the census form or just stop counting by race, then it would go away. But there isn't a single social problem in the history of social problems that goes away because we either stop talking about it or paying attention to it. It's like we were talking about world hunger. Nobody would say, well, if we just stop talking about it, you know, food would miraculously appear on the plates of starving children. We have to actually talk about the things that are out there. So if, in fact, there is substantial racial disparity in every single area of American life, and there is, and it is indisputably the case that that stems both from past injustice and ongoing discrimination. Then I need to know, and we all need to know, sort of what is the extent of that? Is it getting better? Let
1: me stop you there. Does this include? So, what about cultural appropriation?
4: Then I want to go back to the disparity. Do you do you okay. have a problem with cultural
1: appropriation? Because that's not
4: a disparity issue. I think there's a difference between appropriation and appreciation. And for me, look, first of all, American no, no, culture- what well, I'm saying
1: is like, if a, if, a, if a black person can play Mozart, is there any reason in the world that a white person can't play and, and do anything he wants of any other culture?
4: I don't, I don't think, well, first off, I, I think Bear, that-
1: play, write, any, absolutely anything. Is there any reason that every person, every human shouldn't be able to enjoy anything that he sees or hears from wherever it origin Of course not. And
4: I don't think I don't think any of the critics of cultural appropriation, I mean, real I mean, I'm not talking about some fool on Twitter that tweets something silly or on Reddit. But I mean, anyone who's actually been a high level critic of cultural appropriation never would argue that white folks can't, for instance, appreciate hip hop or or do it. No, to actually, to actually do it. Now, whether you do it well or not is a different issue, but well, you can certainly seen, do it.
1: We've seen restaurants get in trouble for serving another culture's food.
4: We've seen people get in trouble for wearing another culture's clothing. We, I think, I think so the clothing, let me give you an exact, the clothing thing, right? It's one thing if you're going to appreciate someone else's style, fashion, clothing, culture, art, music, entertainment, but I think the problem that people have oftentimes and that I can understand and appreciate, even though I don't make this a huge issue personally for myself, is that too oftentimes that appreciation isn't really appreciation. It's like when when the white guys on the quad playing hacky sack at Tulane were wearing locks like or, or what some call dreadlocks. But there's a long reason why that's not really the better term to use when they were doing that. Like do they actually understand the significance culturally and religiously for Rasta folks of that particular hairstyle? And if they don't, I sort of think it makes them assholes. Not that they shouldn't have the right to do it, but that's really meaningful. It's like, if you're going to put on an indigenous headdress and go to a Halloween party and you don't understand the significance of that headdress, it sort of makes you a dick. Like, I'm not saying you can't do it, but that's really important. Like, you wouldn't put on a yarmulke and side curls and go to a party and mock Jews and expect not to be criticized. So well, why do we no, why me. do we do that with indigenous people, okay. black people, Asian folks, et cetera? That's all, I, I mean- I don't, I don't totally disagree with you, but you, you slipped in the word mock which is
1: not the scenario that you described you weren't the, the, the guys playing hacky sack were not mocking black people
4: no uh, they, they weren't
1: they were they were naive but and i would probably add that plenty of black people who wear dreadlocks have no idea of the significance there are, cert- of oh, there are certainly some who don't also no, not, right? i wouldn't say some i'd say overwhelmingly uh they don't that black people don't know. everyday black people are not up on the beliefs of the rastafarians um,
4: uh, but they uh, but- know they know the history of black hair though, and they know the history of locks, which are actually deeper than just rastas. I was just using that as an example because the guys on the quad were all listening to Bob Marley. That uh, it's not only rastas that wore locks. Okay,
1: but in general, I, I, like I'm trying to pin you down, so. Because I don't, I don't think cultural, I mean, I'm very against this concept of cultural appropriation. I
0: do you, you agree with Tim that if there's any element of mock, if there were to be an element of mockery, obviously that's something. Not, but that's
1: not the issue we're talking about. Cultural appropriation is not. Mockery. Also we need to be sensitive. If, if for example, the, the,
0: the white hacky sackers were in all good faith uh, wearing dreadlocks because they appreciated it. And
1: but you're you're, look in, you're inverting it. the scenario. That's why that's why you inverting. I'm, I'm posing another scenario.
0: I'm posing another scenario.
1: Of course, nobody everybody's against mocking. That's not a, that's okay. an easy but issue. In
0: addition to, but 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 also, might you understand the situation where a black person said, "I I I realize you mean nothing by this. You know,
4: I'd like you to know what this
0: means."
4: Right. I think. Look. I think most people who engage in what we're what we're discussing don't have bad intentions. I really, and I think as a result, when someone does something that could be seen potentially as insensitive, that that is a time for education, not cancellation, not not blasting or like calling them out and making a big issue of it. Because I do think a lot of times people do stuff without recognizing that it could be offensive to someone. I think, however, there's a very fine line and to give you an example, I mentioned the Indian headdress stuff. I know that there are people who will wear indigenous quote unquote clothing and headdress. And they will say that they are doing it. They have no, it's not mocking. They're not trying to make fun. And yet we know how easily that became, you know, Chief Wahoo. That be- that became- I,
1: I, I understand. And I don't disagree with you, but, but I, I really don't. But what I, what I would object to is that you're taking the, the very, very extreme cases where somebody is actually stepping on something. It's actually holy to another people, not right. knowing they're doing it. And if you'll say, "Hey, you know, I wish you wouldn't do that because these these are sacred things to us," that's not in the scenario of of this kind of steady drip of cultural appropriation issues.
4: At, well, at that's all. what I think of as. And you're asking me my opinion, but those are the kinds of appropriations that I am most concerned with. I, a lot and of you're okay other-
1: with all. You're so. You, so okay. So that's that's okay. So that's, I mean, it's that. just I,
4: not a huge yeah. issue for me. But I think. But I think it's something that people who feel that their culture is being... One other thing that is important to me. There are a lot of critics of so-called cultural appropriation who point out that when white folks decide certain hairstyles, certain uh, uh, body types are, are cool and fashionable, and they make a lot of money off of that, and create entire industries out of that, even though Black folks were ridiculed for the same thing, whether that's going back to Bo Derek and, and, and her hair in the 70s, that was you know something Black women have been doing and never thought it was beautiful, never called beautiful for it, and all of a sudden it was great because Bo Derek was doing. I think the criticism is that white folks take things that Black folks do and get criticized for, whether it's body type, whether it's hair, whether it's clothing or style, and then do it, remix it, reupholster the whole thing, and then get paid off of. It. That's a that's a commercial or, or material issue of unfairness, which gets us back to the issue of disparity, which in my mind is a much bigger issue. Right, okay, A well, lot well, of this I, other stuff so, is sort so, of fluff I mean, to I mean, me.
1: So, I mean, I don't I don't want to get bogged. So I'm going to move on. I just I would just say that one of the things I worry about is and this is not just in race, actually, actually, I just read an article about it in terms of uh, land use. Yeah. is becoming a, a a a prisoner of the past so absolutely all these things happened in the past and black people ridicule blah 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 and i don't and i don't say blah 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 to be like to dismiss it i just mean like that whole, and so forth but at the point where the culture changes and now thinks you know what we actually think this stuff is beautiful now I would think it'd be in a healthy society, we say, Oh, terrific. I'm I'm happy that you think this stuff is beautiful. We want want to share. It. Now, let me let me get to the the um disparity thing. So one of the things that comes to mind, I have a few things I want to ask you. But one of the things that really stuck out not long ago, there was a editorial, I think it was in New York Times, calling for the end of blind auditions in symphony orchestras. Because Man. um used to be that uh, you know, people would audition for the symphony orchestra and women would uh not get uh hired. So they went towards what seemed like a very sensible alternative, which was that the person auditioning would hide behind a curtain, the people listening would have no idea who was playing, and then they would rate their playing and decide whether they want to be in the orchestra. Well, so, so it happens that black people are not getting uh, uh, hired for the orchestra through blind auditions. So now there's a movement to end blind auditions. And this seems to be taking this idea to an absurd, point do you agree that that's absurd or do you think there should be no blind audition i mean you can't Uh, unless you can give me some scenario where this is actually not i think there's
4: something I, i think for something like symphony orchestras, the weight of the evidence and i haven't looked at it but i would think that blind auditions are still a better way to do that kind of of selection because to be honest the idea that we would not make them blind and that somehow that would Improve the the prospects for musicians of color. I'm not sure that that would be true because then there could be other kinds of implicit biases that might creep in if you knew that the musician was black or brown. So I'm not really sure how that would help. Again, I haven't looked at it, so I don't really have a strong opinion about it. But I do know the the record, the history, like what you're talking about, is that definitely well, me, there were major gender inequities. I know that. Before well, let me ask this:
1: on. you say it would help, and I would I would uh, put on the table here it could only hurt because if it's blind auditions, then we can be a hundred percent sure that we're getting the best people. And if that doesn't break down in terms of a percentage base of the population, just like the NBA doesn't break down into the population, then what's the difference? We're not worried about.
4: A couple of things before we get into the inevitable NBA analogies. I think that that, I agree. I just told you I agree that blind auditions are the better way to go there because I don't, I'm don't. i not sure that whatever the theory is that someone has, that having them not blind would somehow help opportunities for musicians of color. I'm not even sure that that would be true, even on that criteria, even if that's let's the say, criteria. Let's say it would be
1: true. Let's say it would be true. Let, let me I, ask you, I'm what, pretty sure it a, would. What if a symphony orchestra said we want to get rid of our blind auditions and we want to make sure we have 20 percent black musicians?
4: Well, that's not going to happen that's never going to happen
1: as a hypothetical would you say that's a good thing or would you say no that's actually un- that's actually discriminating against people who are better musicians
4: i would say well i would say there's there's multiple issues that one has to look at when a question like that comes to me number one i think it would be absurd no one's gonna no symphony's gonna do that no business does that it's illegal to actually say this percentage of anything has to be this so that's a business that's a scenario without time. any ground what Businesses do this all the time. Have have a, have
1: targets for a certain number of, of people. targets.
4: But you said you said a particular percentage. I'm saying that's not a real thing. Not in symphonies and virtually in no institutions do we actually say we want to have this it's, percentage of anything. Action. That's not what affirmative action does. Affirmative action, first of all, doesn't apply to symphonies. It applies only to to companies that have a certain percentage of I, contracts I'm with the saying, government and or other government institutions. Mr. Wise, please. I, I understand. But you say
1: no, nobody does that. Of course, people do that. I'm just. But asking they don't. You, but I'm trying. I'm trying to hone in on what your no, but, but belief you system. Get to know I'm it's you, if you think that's. I, I'm sorry, Dan. I, I'm, you keep getting, you're getting, you're, 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 you're like going in and out, Dan. I'm yeah, just, well, as, I'm, I'm coming from I... a. Yeah.
4: What I would say is, what
1: I would say I'm is, just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get to the, to the core of your belief, which is I'm asking you if you had yeah. to choose between two scenarios, blind auditions, or if a symphony orchestra said, no, we want to get, uh, let, me, let me put my cards on the table. If a symphony orchestra said, no, we're going to get rid of blind auditions and we're going right. to try to get to 20% black uh, or Jewish or any kind of representation in the orchestra, I say, right. no, that's actually discrimination because we know that there's no discrimination in a blind audition. So whatever you're seeing, that's just the way the world is. And, and I mean, it's- I think you, know.
4: you can make that argument for something like the symphony. I will, I will for the sake of this discussion, because I, I, I don't think this is the most productive use of our time you know, to actually talk about this scenario, but I will grant you that when it comes to something like that, that a blind audition is the, is the proper way to go. But I do not want to give the impression that we can then analogize from that that that's how it should be for all jobs, because most jobs are not like a symphony audition in the sense that subjectivity does most certainly come into play. Subjectivity comes into play when you're applying for a, a just about any position in this country. It's gonna depend on who you're connected to, who wrote you a letter of recommendation. There was a study several years ago that found almost half of the new jobs since the 2009 recession are being filled by letters of recommendation written by existing employees on behalf of friends and people they know who they're trying to help get a job Job, and Absolutely. the people who disproportionately are left out of that are black and brown. They're women of all colors. They're working class, including working class Wait, white I, guys. I agree with you, 100. Right. So, but, so, but there so, is an
1: analogy. There is an analogy between blind auditions and standardized tests.
4: No, not really, them. because no, there's not. Because the difference is standardized tests, we know from the people who actually write the test and have done the studies, have found that the correlation between a standardized test score and your first year of college grades, which is all it was ever intended to predict, it doesn't predict graduation rates, it doesn't predict success in life, it doesn't predict future income, it predicts one year or really only one semester of grades, the correlation's 0.32. Now that may sound significant to people, but it's not because that means if you take the SAT and I take the SAT. The correlation that what you get and what I get only 0.32 for you and 0.32 for me will be predicted by that test. That means the difference between you and me is 10.24 because you have to square the correlation. I know this I is like really math, but my I point thought, is only 10% of the
1: only I, thought what? Corla- I thought correlations went from zero to one with point. They do, but but your
4: time. if your correlation is 0. 0.32 and my correlation is 0. 0.32, if you want to know what the difference between our first year grades will be, you have to square the correlation. 0. 0.32 times 0. 0.32 is 10.24, meaning 10% of the difference between you and me was predicted by the SAT. That's not a good basis for choosing a freshman class, okay, so, especially so, so when let you me- know that those tests are correlated with what? They're correlated with income. They're correlated with zip code. So let me tell you whether your parents went to college, not your actual ability. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. So let me, so let me tell you a a, a personal experience I had, and this, you can, this is true at Penn law school. Yeah. There's a writing competition to get on law review and the writing, uh, the professors that grade the papers don't know who the student is. There's no name on the papers. Right. And once the papers are graded, they're sent to the registrar's office this is a Penn Law School now, this is, the, this is these are high-powered people sent to the registrar's office and then the registrar added points to uh, people of color and, and maybe women, I don't know, but definitely people of color. Um, right. That's, I think, 100% analogous to the blind audition. Um,
4: well, okay except that. that I don't know that it is because I'm not sure that writing and legal writing in particular can I mean I'm a writer. I don't think that writing is objective in the same it's a way. that its a—it's
1: a, ri- a writing. It's you're—you're you're auditioning, as it were, for a for. for no, I
4: know. I understand that. And I understand and the law review is also based on your grades when you're in law school. It's—it's it's also got to do with that. Great. But my point is, so
1: this is not grades. Half the law review is chosen just on a writing competition. So I understand. You submit your writing,
4: just like you just like you
1: play your piece, and the and the professors don't know who wrote it. I and afterwards, I say, you know what, we're going to add points to everybody's of a different color. And I say, I-, I have
4: trouble with that. Well, I don't know the pen policy. I would love I to told look it at to the you, policy. I will pay I dollars if to I'm say-
1: not giving you to exactly as it is.
4: Well, I, I'll be I'll be glad to look at it if you want to send me that. Yeah, when accept I it as a hypothetical.
1: Accept it as a hypothetical. Do you have a problem
4: with it? Well, well but you said it, it was true. more than just a hypothetical. You said it was a real thing. I it mean, lot. Of- but if you don't know that it's true, then just take it on faith and say, well, if it's true,
1: I'm for it. Or if
4: it's true, I'm against it. You know, I, I think the problem with with that, even as a hypothetical, is the assumption is that a that there is no value in diversity in something like the law review. If, in fact, somebody reviews it, some teacher reviews it and thinks, well, this person's writing is X degrees, not as good as this person's writing. So if the law review ends up being all white people, that's okay. I'm not sure that that is okay, And let me explain why. I think the problem is when now if the if the if the differences in magnitude were massive, that's one thing. But they wouldn't be because you wouldn't be at Penn Law School in the first place if you weren't a pretty damn good student. You're not going to get in there if you can't write. You're not going to get into that school in the first place if your grades and your LSAP aren't good so we're talking about you just finished telling me
1: you've just finished telling about letters of recommendation who you know all the all the way to be able to get around
4: Right. But what I'm saying is, if you're at Penn Law School, white, black or otherwise, the odds are that you were a pretty damn good student or you wouldn't be there. The, it's called range restriction. The, the restriction of people that are the actual pool of people that are even applying at a school like that, let alone getting in, are all going to be really good. They're all going to be better than I would have been and probably better than any of us. And so as a result, like we're probably not going to most people listening to this, we're never even going to get in there. The oh, people I got who in get there. In, what? I got in there. I did which is great. Well, that's great, but most people don't. It's a hard school to get into, as you well know. It's a very good law school. And so so you just confine the
0: the conversation to the intrinsic
4: value of a diverse law review. Right. This is my point. When you don't have when you don't have diversity in these spaces that we have identified as the spaces of the best of the best, if you don't have any real diversity in those spaces, even though there are people who are clearly good. Now, whether you think there are people that are slightly better or not is a subjective discussion, but whether, but if you've got people who are good and talented and capable students and none of them are being reflected or very few are being reflected, here's the social harm of that. That reinforces the idea that even though these students got into UPenn Law School, they must not really be that smart. And then you end up with a professor like Amy Wax at the University of Pennsylvania Law School who continues to say to this day in conference after conference that these people are essentially culturally inferior and defective. And she uses examples supposedly from her class to justify that belief. So the value of breaking down this sort of white hegemonic dominance in these spaces is it allows us to challenge the idea that only white people belong in those spaces. And if we don't have people in those spaces that, that visually symbolically challenge that by their presence, I think we reinforce the notion that black folks just must not be as smart, which is an inherently racist belief, that Latinos must be less smart, which is an inherently racist belief, or okay, that they just I, don't work might, as It
1: hard. might enforce, reinforce that notion, that's terrible. Um, on the other hand, if I wrote the best paper, I'm not entitled to be judged without regard to my color.
4: You are, but the problem is determining what is the objective way in which we can say you wrote the best paper. Everything is subjective. Whether or not I know the color of the person writing it, this is not, this is not a question of like, can I hit a particular note on a flute? like that's something that i can literally measure and that's either you either can do that or you can't do that right? blind auditions our blind auditions are very subjective it's about emotion it's about interpretation
1: everybody everybody who auditions for a symphony orchestra is at right. least as uh
4: range restricted as oh i agree oh i 10. agree with you but i'm saying there is if there, not more guess, if not more. Music is, right it is somewhat subjective when you're looking at at the way that no, because there's no affirmative particular... action
1: in uh, an, an orchestra, even for the audition at Penn, there's quite a bit of a, you know, of, of a firm reaction that goes on in the admissions process to begin with.
4: Of course there is but we also know from the research we also know from we also know from the research that the law school admissions council these are the folks that write the LSAT the the work that they did on this 10 15 20 years ago Linda Whiteman was a director of the LSAC she did the research that found that there was no substantial difference in the actual abilities of students who were going to law schools with lower LSATs and lower GPAs as long as it was within a particular range and that range was like a 9 point spread a 9 to 10 point spread which is which is roughly which is actually actually about the size, if not a little larger than the typical spread between white and Black students at most of these elite law schools, within that range is considered random. By the people that wrote the test, it is considered random. random,
1: If it's considered random, then why why is one group doing differently than the other?
4: I'm saying it's random in the sense that it doesn't actually reflect ability once people are in law school. When you, when you actually look at people, I mean, certain people are doing better because the research on standardized tests has long told us that the correlation, the highest correlation between standardized test performance and, and, and for an individual's test performance is the zip code they came from. Look, so it reflects I'm, those I'm being
1: advocate on some stuff, I, I, actually. And, and, and I just want to tell you just and tell the listeners when I went to Penn, I was very, very liberal and I was very uh, almost like, you know, of course I was a, for affirmative action. Everybody, every Jewish liberal kid was a for affirmative action. And it that was the beginning of a change for me when I when I saw that like we were literally, you know, twenty-four months away from going before judges. And I felt like, well, you know, by the time you get to your 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 third year in law school, I guess the second year of law school, you should at at some point you should say, no, I want to be treated like everybody else. Like I'm, I'm about to go into the real world in front of juries and judges and all like that. They're going to, presumably, sure. they're not going to, they're not going to give me extra points. When, when. No, do if I you see me, to- can we just. What's that?
0: Uh, can we just can find the discussion. I want to know uh, if you feel that there's any intrinsic value to a diverse law school or a diverse, uh, say, uh, board of directors or a diverse uh, yeah. I'm group. T- I'm, t- I'm torn yeah. about
1: that issue because. Yes, of course, especially in in legal matters, especially in issues which pertain to race, um, it it's it's ridiculous to think that life experience doesn't matter.
2: Why not in all matters, though? No,
1: not not it doesn't matter. I mean, chess you- it it matters. In other words, if there's a if there's an issue before the court uh, about a close call about a police procedure, let's say. to to come from a community where you know what the police are capable of, as opposed to a community where you're utterly naive about what the police are capable of, is profound and is going to improve your uh, judgment on these matters. So I cannot dismiss diversity as being valuable at that. Right. Question is, does this diversity exception become a, a an opening, which which, you know, an elephant pokes his trunk through and then becomes really a a way to to uh, to then uh, rubber stamp any kind of movement towards diversity, where it's really not about that anymore. It's really just results oriented. So, well, so that's a good, that's the a good and
4: fair. That's a fair question. Yeah. That's a very fair question. Here's my answer to it. Yeah. Um, the, the reality is, if our efforts at greater diversity and representation are not in fact bringing about changes in results, then they're probably not very serious efforts because the only way that one could say that, well, you know, we're just not getting these results even though we're making the effort is if if we're not willing to acknowledge that that's because the effort has been pretty weak, then it must be because at some level, we just think these people, whoever these people are, might be Black folks, might be women as women, might be poor people as poor people, whatever it is, that they're just not as good. And I fundamentally reject the, I start with the proposition that if in fact opportunity were truly equal in this country, both historically and contemporaneously, we wouldn't have perfect parity because just like if I flip a coin, it's not going to be 50-50 on 100 flips but it would be a hell of a lot closer than it is now we would have something more akin to representation that was similar to the population and the only way that wouldn't be true the only way that i'm wrong when i say that is if black people and other folks of color who are disproportionately on the bottom of the social hierarchies are truly inferior i reject that as a matter of not only ideology but a matter of fact
1: so let me just tell you let me just go on record i 100 agree with you and um this is actually a subject i can get pretty riled up about i can tell you as an employer and as a person and um i mean it's anecdotal of course right. but um it's obvious to me that um the disparities we see are not based on inferiority and that's a that's a it's an um right. like i i feel that i feel that strongly in my bones right um and let me tell you so so let me tell you my last thing, and then I'll let Dan if he if he doesn't get cut off. But what I what I do think my my, my whole my whole take on this reduces to the following. And I was just reading it before we started. I, the, st- the statistics <clears throat> of young black children versus their white peers in their ability to read, write, and do mathematics proficiently in the sixth grade, let's say. Yeah. The disparities are so heartbreakingly enormous that i don't even want to read the statistics out loud because it sounds as if i'm it it just sounds too ugly to read them but you can google them suffice it to say it is a national shame that is unimaginable and but having said that if you were if you were to tell me you had 30 group uh, uh 30 white kids who were doing terribly in the sixth grade and 30 white kids were doing really, really well. And then asked me to predict, what would you expect to see in terms of their representation in the Ivy leagues in 15 years? I'd say, well, of course, the 30 kids that are doing great are great. And, And you're lucky if even one of these kids, if you can't read and write well in sixth grade, your whole future is fucked, excuse my leg. And I feel like all the efforts that we do with good intentions to try to equalize adults is futile and that all the neglect that we don't immediately, that we don't essentially focus like a laser beam. But I would say 100% of our effort to equalize educational achievement in grammar school and early high school. Because I feel like if we were to do that, if young black children could read and write on par with their peers Everything else would take care of itself. You wouldn't need to have different scores. You wouldn't need to have this stuff. They would be on the track to do just like everybody else. Now what, Now what is going on in those kids that this is a combination of our historical uh, atrocities yeah. that we've that we've uh, committed. It's also bad incentives. It's also, I believe part of the, the damage that I believe the anti-racist movement does. For instance, I think it's terrible, terrible. to to get rid of standardized tests for uh, children in New York City schools because that is all the teachers need to never be called to task again. Rather than fix the problem by removing these black kids, we're going to fix the problem by stopping to measure it.
4: So let me tell you where I agree with you and then I'll tell you where I disagree with you. I certainly agree with you that the bulk of the work can't wait until someone's 40 and applying for a job or Or 20 and applying for a job, right? Clearly.
1: Or 18, in my opinion.
4: Or 18 or whatever, right? Clearly, clearly, clearly. Um, Where I disagree is this. I don't think it is an either or proposition. And I certainly don't think that the people on my side of this have ever suggested that it was, but I certainly wouldn't. It would be, you know, like saying during the, the segregation of buses, in this country, well, you know, the answer is not to desegregate the buses. Let's just build more buses. So everybody gets a good seat. Like we could do both. We could have more buses and we could integrate the ones that we have for those who were already on them. So I think what we want to do is two things. Number one, and and, you know, that would be a whole different show, like figuring out how do we fix K-12 ed, but I certainly agree with you. There's a ton of stuff that has to be done there.
1: Uh, Let me, let me, hold that though. Let me zoom in. He says something interesting, but let me just zoom in on that and and tell me if you, if, if you've thought this through, or if you agree with what I'm about to say. Okay. If you agree with my premise that, again, same color, that if you have two cohorts, one that oh, yeah. that, that you would see significant disparities among these white people when they're adults, you you will. Yeah, how which how, is can, why, how right. can you how can you acknowledge that on the one hand, but then on the other hand, not acknowledge that that some of the disparities we're seeing among the races are actually not racially based they're actually the result of the same disparities we'd expect if these were purely white people and how well, because the that, difference
4: all i said all i said previously if you recall is that the disparities we see are a product of in of unequal opportunity both historic and contemporary so i'm agreeing with you that that is why we're going to see disparities because we've seen them sort of cascading from an earlier point so, 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 my sorry, argument let me, let me clarify argument, what you said
1: I'm, I'm not trying to draw this. I'm making it clear for the, the listeners. So, when you, when you say unequal opportunities, you mean the, the lack of opportunities that even the parents might have had.
4: I'm talking historically, right? Yeah, the got, inertia. Got I'm applying Has, has, has first fucked
1: first law of has, motion. Has, has been unfair to these children. You don't mean actually unequal opportunity at the job, let's say they're applying for. And I, well, I'm just trying be, to. I'm just no, trying what to I'm saying, saying is look,
4: I'm saying we have a here. here this is not that complicated. I'm, I'm probably making it more than it needs to be. What I'm saying is we have a history of unequal opportunity specifically directed at black and brown peoples, especially black folks in this country. And that has affected generation after generation in terms of where folks live, in terms of their assets and wealth, in terms of the jobs that they have, in terms of the schools that their kids go to, in terms of the curriculum that they therefore receive. So all of that stuff cascades. I'm essentially applying Newton's first law of motion to economics and history and sociology, right? The idea that an object in motion tends to remain in motion. History does that too. So the disparities that we see in those classrooms, for instance, as you and I both agree. We we have that on the table, right? That obviously it's not inferiority. Obviously it's not that these kids aren't just as capable, but for whatever reason, uh, they are not doing as well. And I'm saying the reason for that is both a history of unequal access, which has put them behind in the race, so to speak, five laps back in an eight lap race, and also ongoing inequalities of resources. We know, for instance, that schools that serve disproportionately low-income black and brown kids spend less per pupil on average nationwide than the schools that serve more affluent and wider communities. We know that the resources offered both in terms of AP and honors and enrichment classes are different. There are like 168 high schools, I think in the state of California. Last time I looked, they don't have any honors. I agree, think AP is too late for, the, for what I'm talking well, about. Well, I'm just saying, but I'm, I'm talking even honors like enrichment programs in the earlier grades. They just don't have them. So what I'm saying is there's a combination of both history and ongoing unequal access that helps explain that. Now, obviously, as long as that's happening, we're not going to expect a perfectly rough percentage of black people in all of these things when they're 30, because we screwed them when they were nine. Like, obviously, we agree on that, right? We would want to make sure that we were doing something in those earlier grades to then create a different cascade effect, one generation and two generations.
1: We, we, uh, obviously,
4: was, we're not. You we're and not I agree anything. on that 100%. We don't
1: do but anything. What, we don't do anything. It's a well,
0: I think the difference between what you two are saying is that Gnome is is saying, let the law firm hire the best people regardless of race. Let the law school
4: uh, admit the best people regardless of race and let's focus on And and I'm sure and I agree with the need to focus on early childhood ed. The problem is, if we were to say that we're not going to do any efforts for diversity in the business world or in law schools or undergrad or whatever, because, you know, we got to focus on this other thing. Like I said, I don't think it's an either or. You have a lot of incredibly capable people who are applying for jobs right now who are being overlooked because they are not in those networks, they don't have the right connections or contacts. Something like affirmative action is really the only thing that has historically in the last 30 or 40 or really almost 50 years now, actually expected certain institutions to do more outreach and recruitment to actually broaden the pool of people that they look at. So I don't want to get rid of that. It's yeah. not a perfect tool, but I wouldn't want to get rid of it. Let me just say this because I want to go back to the New York City schools. Then, then I want
1: to say something that we got to wrap up, but I, uh, go ahead, say, go ahead.
4: So, I was just going to say, I, and I, oh, if, if we're talking about are the tests for like the specialized schools, if we're talking about like the test for Stuyvesant and, and Brooklyn Tech. And those Bronx aren't specialized Haan. schools. Those are
1: just the best high schools. I mean,
4: Well, I, OK, but what I'm saying is these are the test in schools is what I mean. So the problem with those tests and why I think people have been critical of them because by the is because the admission of the people who write them, those tests are not in any way, shape, or form devised based on stuff that has been previously covered in school. It is not actually a test of prior knowledge that has been administered in school. It's not testing what you've been taught. It's testing things that you were either likely to know because of your background or not, or that you went to some quiz cram, like index card, like flashcard prep class and took if it's a test that actually tests the knowledge that you were taught we can make an argument that that's valid that's what we take every day in school we we, we sit in a classroom and we take a test yeah, at I, the I end it. of the semester so that's actually that. so, so that's, I, I, it, yeah so so yeah, if,
1: yeah. if what you're saying is true I've never heard that I live in New York I've read everything about this but but if, if what you're saying is that they're testing them on things that you know essentially on on the quality of their homes rather than the the quali- so Then i of course i would agree with you i would only right. say that um i i don't think that's the case i think the the um the testing is just another in a series of data points that resembles the the disparity in reading ability writing ability mathematics ability that are, that are measured in in, in other standardized tests the, the the those test results are pretty predictable on this trajectory but let me just let me just say uh now, I just want to hope I remember things So on, on the issue of, of, of uh, inferiority. Right. I just wanted to make this point. That even if you were to be open to the data of the Charles Murray's of the world, which says that Ashkenazi Jews are smarter and all, all that stuff, right. that data would not predict the disparities we're seeing. And that's, that's a key point. And that's also why that line of thought is so harmful, because let's say it is true that there's a five point difference in IQs between uh, Jews and white people or, 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 any, or any two groups, right? Any, right? any two gene pools. It doesn't even have to be race. I mean, you know, IQ is more and more uh, shown to correlate according to gene pools, identical twins and all that. So all this is possible. Um, <clears throat> nothing, to my knowledge, nothing that has ever been found would even begin to explain the right. kind of differences that we're seeing. So you could almost hold, you could almost say, yeah, I do think there's a difference in IQs and still say, but this has nothing to do with that. There's, there is, well, no what, what you could certainly say,
4: what you could certainly say is this is that even if someone is desperate to, for some reason, agree with Charles Murray about anything, yeah. the reality is that. Even if a person and taking it out of the race situation altogether, even if an individual happens to have some really super high genius IQ because of some biological or genetic predisposition in their family, not linking it to race or ethnicity, you're just saying as an individual with this super genius family, it's not like they earned their IQ, right? It's not like they did anything to deserve that. That would be like saying, well, I have a blood type and therefore I should be treated differently than someone who doesn't, or I'm lactose intolerant. Like that would be a trait over which you had no control. And so the big issue, the big problem with those people who look at things like IQ, and, and intelligence in this vacuum which oftentimes does tend in a really racist and classist direction with things like the bell curve is that they're ignoring that that says nothing about a person's character disposition or drive and my argument would be that when we look at things like affirmative action it look if 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 there are groups of people in this country who had a three or five lap head start in an eight lap race they ought to hit the tape first Right when you have a three to five lap head start in an eight lap race, you hit the tape first. That doesn't mean you're the fastest runner. I would prefer that we have a society where we say, Listen, if you were three laps back and at the end of the race, you're only two laps back, by definition, you're the faster runner, you're the one that I want on my track team. So, if we're looking at standardized tests, the analogy would be I, you know, if it's a question of like, no, you're a, not, but a, now a, you're not a making opinion. a
1: racial argument, I mean. A lot, a lot. Of people I'm saying, but I'm made,
4: saying any, any, and I, w- I would apply look, it to
1: class a lot, a lot of people have argued against against race-based affirmative action and said it should be experientially based affirmative action. If you come from a disadvantaged home, I think of it your could your be color. both
4: of these because what we know is that there are specific disadvantages that are about race, even for black and brown folks who are not poor, and there are disadvantages for poor people, including poor people who are white. Again, it's not either or. What I think it would be. great. Of,
1: what's the disadvantage of race? For people who are not
4: poor. Well, there's a whole body of research on on uh, on schools, for instance, that finds that uh, black students, black kids who are in upper income families with $75,000 or more in household income are still like three to five times more likely to attend a high poverty school than white kids with that kind of income. In fact, they're more likely to live in low income and moderate income neighborhoods than white kids who are poor. Like white kids, let me finish, white kids who are actually poor are less likely to live in a poor neighborhood than black kids who are middle to upper middle class. So there are some fundamental differences that are not just about economics. There's also this whole body of research on standardized tests, which finds that black kids From from families that are, I mean, these are you know two-parent homes, reasonably high incomes, occupational status, who take standardized tests, seventy-five thousand or more in income, do worse on standardized tests than poor white kids. Now there are only two possible explanations for that. If you're black and you're more affluent and you're still doing worse on the SAT than a poor white kid, either you have to endorse that racist nonsense that Charles Murray puts out, which we both rejected already, or you have to say god, there must be something going on even for the middle to upper middle class black kid in their life that is that is driving down their test scores and there is in fact a theory to explain that and a body of research called well, stereotypes. Well, I
1: mean, right? But, but there, also, there also are different cultural realities
4: here, regardless of what- But see, damage. this is where it gets dangerous, because well, if we're going to say, well, it's but, not biology, but it's culture, oh, but, but then so we're you know, still making- Hold We're on. still making judgments about culture.
1: Yeah, but, but, but this, I think, is irrefutable. I and mean, if you look at Asian achievement in New York City, right. poor people very often don't speak English, they score the highest in the city that's either culture or biology It's one or the other well or it could be a very it's not advantage it's not not who they know as a matter of fact this whole thing of who you know and recommendations it sounds good but if i as i'm thinking about it jews didn't know anybody when they arrived indian people are are the richest people now they didn't know anybody when they arrived like like it sounds good but in reality it hasn't helped many nigerians earn more than white people they don't know anybody when they come what what do the what do jews right. asians and nigerians have well they the different culture am i wrong they have a culture there, there's which is a lot
4: different it's Black well nigerians
1: jews, first of all and, and asians
4: th- there's there is, that is a true? well there's a fundamental difference between immigrant communities first of all okay that's almost, let, me, let me explain let me, let me make my point yeah. You can go to those same countries from which all those quote unquote successful Asians come and fly, find tons of poor people who would bomb the SAT tomorrow and they come from the same culture as the ones who were getting into Stuyvesant and Bronx science. They, they come from the same culture as the ones who we like to hold up as the quote unquote model minority. So we have to be very careful when we make these generalizations about Asian culture because there are literally billions of poverty well, stricken Asians right yeah. now yeah. living in Bangladesh, living in India, living in China. They come fine. from the same kind of cultures, and they we, have the same kind of background. Every
1: every country has uh, has a
4: curve, but I'm asking that how do right. you? My how- point being, though, the ones who come as immigrants, voluntary immigrants to a nation, by definition, are a self selected group of people. That is not the case for people who did not self select and are a broader cross section. How, how do you dis- Cross
1: That's fine, okay, but, whatever, but however, hold up. But however you, however it originated, and whenever they self selected. What we right. have now is a culture. When I say culture, I mean, well, I mean, it, listen, as far as I understand it, there's two options. There is, uh, for the Asians, because, because uh, with, with the black community, you have a third option, which is deprived, de- 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 being deprived. But you have Asian right. people who are doing very, very, very well. We can Well, some the, are, why, why, some are. On average, on average. Uh, well, why, there's why are they doing? They're groups. the highest earners in the country. They're doing better than people with white privilege.
4: Uh, why? Depends, wait, wait.
1: See, but you're saying eight, there are 26 Asian subgroups in this country. Why, why? What? Why does the average Asian student do so well in New York City?
4: You, first of all, there's not an average Asian student. You have 26 different subgroups and nationwide, putting aside Pick the anyone. experience in New York, nationwide, some of those groups are doing very well and have high income. Some of them have poverty rates and school Damn, failure that, rates that, that are that, similar me, to Latinos and Blacks.
1: So the first time since you've been on the show, I feel like you're ducking the question.
4: Choose, no, I'm not. I'm telling you there's not an group. group
1: you want that's doing better on average and tell me why they are doing better. It's either, in my opinion, it's either they're superior stock genetically, or they have a superior culture. I use the word Lucy to mean the, the, the way they're raised, the attention they get, the, the amount, the, 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 the emphasis on education. Uh,
4: but that wouldn't explain the difference that I'm going to answer your question in a way that I think you won't find satisfying, but will nonetheless be an answer. Okay. that you can't use that as an explanation for why black kids from successful homes remember i said black kids from families with 75,000 or more in annual income two parents in the home college educated parents books in the home high occupational status are still doing worse than poor white kids you can't say that those black families are not striving for excellence these are kids who are coming from homes that are culturally if you want to say that asians have some culture of striving and success so do those black kids and yet they're not doing as well so either few, that means that there's something genetically wrong first with them which first is if answer, no
1: fact of- I, I have I, I i want to address what you just said we have to go but first answer my question if you will which is how i mean you you study this stuff at some point you must decide said say, well why are these right. why in new york city are the asian kids dominating the standardized tests you must have well, asked I yourself think, that question. I think Why? in New York
4: City for those particular schools that we're talking about, there is a history. It is not some inherent Asian cultural trait. It is the fact that immigrant striving communities, including some of those that you're talking about, not all the Asian communities, but some in places like New York, know that that is a path in a place like New York to success to go to stuyvesant to go to bronx science to go to brooklyn tech and there is a high amount of pressure intense pressure not necessarily healthy pressure i should point out but intense pressure on immigrant communities to achieve by those standards that they believe the culture demands of and that's not necessarily that's not necessarily healthy that's not not healthy but 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 you're getting it's not healthy but i'm still, still
1: healthy or not What's the I argument? think it's so, an immigrant,
4: so, striving so, so culture. So look, it's got nothing to do with Asians as Asians. Now, it has now to the, do with- the
1: self-selection thing sounds. But as I'm thinking about the self-selection thing, I think well, the Jews. The Jews were very, very high achieving. They were driven out en masse. They weren't. There was no self-selection in Jews showing up on, on people's shores. They they showed. Right, but up. when
4: right, but when we came, but when we came, and and I and I. Why, why did we do so enough. well? Well, one of the reasons is that Jews, a disproportionate number of Jewish immigrants, and Steven Steinberg talks about this in his book, The Ethnic Myth, brilliant book, talks about how Jews who came, despite our stories about having 18 cents and a ball of lint in our pocket, also came with professional experience that was needed.
1: That is just nonsense. It's not nonsense. It's absolutely not. Sir, I am first generation immigrant. I know exactly the community I came from. What you're saying is nonsense. What okay. You're saying is my great grandfather. My
4: great grandfather came and was able to get jobs in New York City in the early 1900s that had been off limits to Black people for 30 years. Absolutely. But the but That's the, one. the idea
1: the idea that the idea that 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 Jews came here already. Doctors. This is no no no. I didn't say doctors. Well, I didn't anything. say anything. No, 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 no. I'm what? telling you that that I came from families that 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 were broke. That that were going for odd jobs. My father sold brushes door to door. His I friend, understand, his but they friend had right. Cab. My
4: great grandfather, my great grandfather came with merchant experience. I'm not this, saying this is just came... this
1: is just nonsense.
4: This is okay. just nonsense. I, I, I gave and, you I gave you and, a reference. And I, and I, and so that's, I, again,
1: I, I would say there was something whatever the Jews were were uh, didn't have what they what they what they didn't have. I would say which is with the argument that you would agree with they didn't have. They were not taken in slaves, stripped of things, and then just set out on their own to, uh, uh, you know, to 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 make their way in the world. The Jews have a culture based in um, in a certain kind of educational priority, going back to the studying the Talmud for generally Talmudic learning
4: for men, right? But I mean, that's it was also very gendered, and
1: still learning for women, but 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 you're right, not for, and that is. If that's not the basis of their rapid ascendance in uh, in, uh, in American culture, then it sounds like you're saying it's genetics. Got to be something's got to no, happen. I'm not. It. I'm saying
4: I'm saying it's material reality. If if Jews, if forty percent, according to the research that Steinberg cites, of Jews came with experience as small merchants or as tailors, haberdashers, furriers, and keep in mind when when Jews came to places like New York, in addition to being able to get jobs that Black Black people couldn't get and had been run out of for 30 years. They were also in industries that were just middle, like working class, upper working class, or lower middle class in many of the places they came from, but which happened to be in the United States, industries that were growing three times the average of the economy at that time. There was a huge demand on the part of rich Gentiles for fine clothing, for, for haberdashery, for furs, for merchant class, to actually buy products from them. So we were very fortunate. We came at a very important time, at a very good time, to have come to the United States by and large in terms of what industry yes, experience that, we had. But you
1: understand that even in the Soviet Union, where Jews faced horrible anti-Semitism, right. they still rose to the tops of academic ranks. There's been no culture no, there's no country where the Jews have been, regardless of the level of hatred and, and, and uh, ghetto, ghettoization that they faced, where they didn't excel at the same things they still excel at that are academically based. I didn't know that it was controversial to say this was a cultural thing. I, I think th- the danger- And I think with all due respect, you're, you're, I understand why you, you don't want to sign up for that, but I think I, I, it sounds it sounds absurd at some point. Obviously, there is such a thing as culture in the world. Of course different, there is. Yeah, but, and, different, but, but, and different cultures do emphasize different things.
4: But the question is, what the culture of the United States decides is critical and important and that it rewards is not just something that is some... You know, handed down by God, objective thing. What we have decided matters is subjective, just like what other countries decide matters is subjective. And our kind, you know, if we if we had a society that was still largely agrarian, the skills that would pay the most and the cultures that would be rewarded the most would be those that knew no, how to farm. I like think, if-
1: I think I'm, I think I'm, my I think I'm actually more sympathetic <laughs> racially than you are in a certain way because, like, I saw a statistic today uh, um, from the CDC where black people are being killed with firearms at 10 times the rate of white people that's about 10 right. times yeah and I, and of course it's mostly by uh, mostly by other black people but that but that's not that's not my point at all my point is like how could we expect people coming from that life to not be scarred by that and expect them well, to do of course as well. they are. Of course and expect them to do as well as people coming without, who don't have that baggage. I'm not, uh,
4: look, I told you. And that to me is culture. I expect that people who are coming from marginalized spaces are not gonna be doing as well. I never said that they would. What I'm saying is that the way that we ought to be evaluating people is not simply on, who won the race or who got the test score, but on how far did people move from where they were in that opportunity structure to where they are now? Because effort to me means a lot. If again, if I start out five laps behind and I'm only three laps behind at the end, I ran faster. If you start out with a head start, not just racially, economically, or in any other way, you're supposed to hit the tape first. You should get the higher test score. My argument is you ought not be rewarded for the head start over which you had no control. But the, but the,
1: obvi- the, uh, the, the, the obvious answer to the initial thing that you said about why are, why are uh, black children coming from professional homes still scoring badly on tests, the, obvi- the obvious one, I shouldn't say obvious, one possible answer could simply be that the parents didn't score that well on the tests either. The parents But, got but ahead. then, if
4: that's true, if that's true, then you've just undermined the legitimacy of the test because they're professionally successful. They're making a good living. They're earning good well, incomes. They're doing about all the 75, things. 75000 dollars. This is not. Um, well, that's a national average. It would be higher in New York, obviously. Not like middle but, class. You know, 70, but 75,000 or higher doing worse than 20,000 or lower. You've got to at least agree that the, that the kid that's growing up in that is coming from a family that is probably more quote unquote, culturally success oriented than the one who's coming from the, if we're going to make yes, these but, cultural yes, arguments, absolutely. But, right? And so, so my point he is he might
1: still only score as well on these tests as his parents did,
4: but but my point being that they're successful, they're doing well in life. These are college educated parents. They're making decent money. They've got good incomes and occupations if the tests are really valid at predicting something other than first year grades which if that's all it predicts which is in fact what they say it predicts why in the hell are we using that as a criteria why is that a valid choice if in fact you can go on and be perfectly successful there's a a lot
1: of data i'll send it there's a lot of data showing the sat's uh i think both of you have
0: made your arguments and i think the listeners can 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 decide for themselves uh, I don't know if Tim has a few more minutes. Can can we talk a little bit about the browning, quote unquote, of America? Because I know uh, T- Tim has it. mentioned. Pardon? I said I'm it, I'm doing my. Part. Um, I think, Tim, you're on record as saying that the browning of America is an
4: inherently good thing. Is that is that fair to say? I mean, I, I think it's just a thing. I think people uh, I don't want to I don't want to say quite like that, because I just think people move and they move where opportunity is. And I think that to try to restrict that, which is what some would do, um, is not only, I think, a humanitarian mistake, it's also an economic mistake, because put simply, there aren't enough white people and aren't going to be enough white people in the next 40 or 50 years to keep the economy afloat, because the median age of white people is 44, and you just don't make that many babies when you're in your mid-40s. So in fact, this idea of the great replacement that the Tucker Carlson's uh, of the world and the Buffalo terrorists are worried about they have it exactly backwards is in fact the demography changing yes but if it doesn't change we're going to be in real trouble it's not that I want to just like say oh yeah it'll be awesome when we have less white people it's just we're going to have less white people and so if you want to have a stable economy you want to have a society that works for people including white folks you're going to have to have someone here and the reality is that that's probably going to be brown folks so i think it's a natural process and if you're going to allow capital to cross borders and goods to cross borders you have to let labor cross borders if you don't do that you're you're screwing working people generally not just Brown working people, but white working people as well by keeping labor in its country of origin, which allows companies to then say, Well, I'll just send the whole plant overseas. Like right? they're not going to stop moving plants just because we build a wall, for the instance. The
1: Browning of so America, I, the Browning of America is, ter- I'm using the word loosely, the Browning of America is terrific as far as I'm concerned. We absolutely need the labor. The problem with the Browning of America is not the Browning, it's that we are not prepared to treat these people, uh, including Asians here as individuals rather than representatives of their race when they get here. I do not see, and I've said this a million times on the show, how we can say uh, co- to Asian people, come here, c- come along, we don't care. We wanna we want color America and it's unfair to keep you out. And they say, but once you get here, don't. Ex- we don't want too many of you at Harvard. Once you get here, it's very important what color you are. That is, is untenable to me, it's immoral. I believe that if, if um, Harvard turned out to be 90% Asian, we should be very proud of america to see that because that would show that we live up to our ideals if we are going to try to limit different colors of how well they can do and represent them represent themselves at, at the best schools that is a betrayal of the promise we make to these people when we when we invite them into our country when you get here you should be able to be treated well, as an individual now it's fine if you want to say we have a special obligation to black Americans, so we're going to put a wall around that 13 or 14% of Americans, and we're gonna, we, we're gonna, we have special obligations to them to make it up to them. But right. the other uh, 80, 80, 87% of Americans, regardless right. of color, and I include Indians, Spanish, not, not the descendants of slaves, they should be treated as the same, period, end of story. I, I feel very strongly about that.
4: Well, that would be great. Uh, it would be great, for instance, moral imperative. if Asian-Americans uh, were treated equally in the job market. They're still not. You mentioned how well they're doing in schools. But the reality is Asian-American and Pacific Islanders individually now, not household, because that that data is skewed by the fact that Asian households tend to be slightly larger and have more income earners per home than white and black households. On a per capita basis, Asian-Americans with college degrees are still 24, 25% more likely to be unemployed than white folks with degrees you're doing something- and earn slightly less. So I would love for Asian-Americans- to are doing something that, that the average Korean- I know, They're not but, either.
1: Yeah, you're doing something that the average Korean I know which would consider racist, which is to say that Pacific Islanders are the same culture as you know Korean and Japanese because they, they, yes, they well, are I could the break same it. Race. I could
4: just say I could just say Asian, and it would, the numbers would be the same. I mean, the Asian, Asian Americans with college degrees are roughly 25 percent, according to BLS data, Labor Department data. About 25 percent more likely to be out of work, in spite of their degree. Um, the, Latinos with degrees about 50 percent. The highest earners degrees, in, our
1: country, the highest in our country are not white anymore. What's that? that? The highest earning groups in our country are not white anymore, and that is a very inconvenient data point but it's not want to make the argument that America is all about whiteness. No, but it's is. not,
4: it's not because could it's it not, not be? Because, be. How could it not be? Because all right, the highest earning income groups right now are Hindu folk. That's the highest income group in the United are what? States are what are yeah, Hindu, Hindu folk okay. are Hindu. And, and they earn the highest of any of any group slightly below that, uh, you know, they're Brown, right? What's yeah, they are, yeah. but, the, they but again, than whites, but here's here's the problem. There is a self-selection of immigrants. There are billion. There are a billion Hindu in India who are starving, who are poor, desperately poor. There's nothing superior about them as Hindu folks culturally or biologically or genetically. They are in, They are a high income group. And by the way, a disproportionate share of Hindu immigrants come here with a college degree already. So regardless of your Jewish ancestry and mine, that is not the case. There, these are true. not folks I, that, who are true. disproportionately coming. It, it, what do you say? I said, that's true. I'm, I'm aware. Right, of that. It is true. But so if plenty, you have a group plenty of them people though. who plenty are, are coming with college degrees, of course, they are going to out earn groups of people that are a cross section, both white folks and black folks who are a broader cross section. By the way, you also have Hindu Americans disproportionately living in metropolitan areas that are that are higher cost of living, which is also true. I should point out for Asians. Keep in mind, 60 percent of Asian Americans live in five states in this country. And those five states okay, happen to be in the goes, highest like Third but, of all but, states. So when you of, adjust. But plenty,
1: yeah, but plenty of white people have college degrees and are
4: doctors and lawyers too. Right, nevertheless, but the difference is nevertheless, nevertheless, white, folks, the white folks are literally spread across the country. But so therefore, you're going to have a lot of white folks in Des Moines. You're going to have a lot of white folks in Lincoln, Nebraska. And if your Asian folks are in Honolulu, the West Coast, Jersey, and New York, which are much more expensive, the fact just, that they is- earn more doesn't mean that there's not white privilege because when you look at a Take one particular spot, take the city of New York, take Manhattan. The poverty rates for Asian folks in Manhattan are still hugely disproportionate compared to white folks. Same in L.A., same in San Francisco. So, right. yeah, but if that, I take no, no, Asians right. in New now, York and I compare them Now you're making, my point. To, now you're making my
1: point. The poverty point for the
4: poverty of Asians is because
1: is a lot of them are, are, are just arrived. Right. In one generation, they are no longer poor. They well that's not that the actually New the, T- the New York Times it. the New York Times described the stories of Asian families skimping on food skimping on food in order to make sure to enrich their children so that they could do better in school this is right. a, a this is a single minded uh, obsession uh, that uh, that's being described to the extent that is accurate which which needs to be accepted. And I think it's just inconvenient to put, all the, to put all the emphasis on the fact that whiteness rules in America. And to say, but, and yeah, by the way, whites are not the highest earners. But
4: you have you ever be thought, better. well, but have you ever it's, it's just, about, on the face of it, you know? Have you yeah. ever thought about what it means that Asian folks, the ones that you're describing to the extent this is some broadly generalizable sociological phenomena skimping on food, that, that, they, that they should have to do that in a place like this, as opposed to living in the same way that every, why should they have to do that? Why should somebody from Nigeria who has a PhD in their country of origin have to come to the United States and be and be working driving a cab nothing wrong with driving a cab by the way but they got a PhD and it's not recognized as valid in the United States because it's an African university why should anyone have to live that way and here's the reason I ask it it's not merely rhetorical one of the groups with the highest mental health episode issues and suicide rates among college students and graduate students in this country are Asian Americans. Why? Because these young people, despite their academic success, they may be getting A's and B's, but I can't tell you how many times I've gone to prep schools and to colleges and had people there who do work around these issues talk about the days Ooh, that Asian kids read, are read missing about, from school. Read about, because, China, read about China and India. It's worse there, the pressure they put on. But it's us. not right, but I'm saying it's incredibly
1: unhealthy. So we, we ought, know, ought not be valorizing not healthy, that. but that's another issue altogether. And why okay, should they?
0: But you're, you're acknowledging that there is a culture, but in this case, the culture may not be a good one because it's leading to suicides.
1: Well, it's it's good when it it's bad when it leads to suicide. It's good when it leads to success. Uh, it, black culture is good when it leads to success and, and bad when, it, when when people are getting. I mean, I mean, everything has its 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 pluses and minuses. Every culture has the things that. I mean, this is a ridiculous conversation. The answer to to why should they is that's just you know that life is is like that why should people get sick why if when when you i mean one thing is for sure when the unfortunate people of the world decide where can i go that i think i'll be more fortunate overwhelmingly it's the united states of america and rather than focus on somehow think that we're letting we're letting a nigerian down with a phd Because he's driving a cab until he gets his, you know, manages to 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 do better. Say, well, why should he live like that? Why should a PhD in Nigeria be so fucking poor that he has to come to America to drive a cab? Like, I mean, you you can play that game in
4: any scenario on planet Earth. The point is that they weren't necessarily poor in Nigeria. They weren't necessarily. Well, because we are still the wealthiest nation on Earth. We are still, at least as of now, maybe you not by PhD next week but you know, but, in a country. And
1: you, you decide to leave that country to go drive a cab. That says an awful lot about the country you're coming from, doesn't it? There's
4: still obviously more opportunity here than most places because we have the biggest economy. We are the wealthiest nation on the planet. I would argue there are other countries. There are plenty of other countries. It's quite a bit smaller than ours. Uh, that have, you know, longer life expectancy, they have just as much political freedom, their economies are quite strong. And, you know, if it not crazy about taking in immigrants. What's that?
1: They're not crazy about accepting immigrants. right? right? No,
4: they're not. And that's a whole nother problem. Right. They're not. Absolutely. And that's, that's an issue. I mean, I agree that I think people ought to be able, I would love to be people to be able to move and live wherever they want. Now, I realize we can't all live in Saint Kitts, even though we might like to, because it's very tiny. But I, I agree that generally speaking, there are countries that are very restrictive on immigration, far more than we are. And I wouldn't want us to emulate that. I'm just I'm saying, saying that, that if if those countries were more open to immigration, I'm quite confident that a lot of those folks who were coming here would be going there because they are just as good economically, culturally, and politically, uh, and in terms of healthcare access and university and and educational opportunity as the United States is. I guess so. It's, I guess what I'm saying is the following
1: i think the story of immigrants and immigrant success in the united states that continues to this day is something that we should be extremely extremely proud of as a nation to this day agreed the the, the, the mrna vaccine is a story of immigrants i mean one thing agreed. after that I, I know so many immigrants there's a guy who used to work the door out here came from the uh, occupied palace. came from, came from Israel. He's Arabic with nothing, nothing started here as a, uh, uh, as a waiter. And now he owns ATMs all over the country. He was da- he, he negotiates for Dave Chappelle. I mean, just in, 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 in no time, he's a Brown person, you know, yeah. tremendous opportunity in this country. Agree. And, and somehow I think that people have trouble with nuance and, and that the people like you who see America very much as a story of white supremacy, have trouble granting us the things that we should be proud of when it comes to acceptance and giving opportunities to brown people and Asian I
4: agree with everything that you just said. Well, I wouldn't say giving opportunities to, because to me that sounds very paternalistic, but I know you didn't mean it that way. Uh, What I'm saying is I think that we have created, and when I say we, I mean all of the people who have made up what this country is, which includes all of those brown people without whom we'd be a very different country. It includes Jews without whom we'd be a very different country. It includes the Irish without whom we'd be a very different country, right? All of these different groups have made us what we are. And so we have created a society that is increasingly accepting. There is no doubt about that. Far more accepting than the colonial era far more accepting than the days of the you know, Asian exclusion laws, far more accepting than the than the immigration restrictions of 1880 and, and 1924, far more accepting than the pre-civil rights era. So you will get no, I, I would be disrespecting the memories of those who died to make that true to not acknowledge that. So we have 100% agreement there. The question is whether we are going to say that we want to judge the, the, the goodness of our society based on. our progress from where we were or whether we want to judge it against the ideal that we set out in the Constitution or in the Declaration or in all of our founding documents. I would prefer that we judge it based on this ideal, this promise that we've made, even as we acknowledge progress toward that promise, you still have to say, you know what, this is still a problem that we have to get a hold of and that we have to discuss honestly, as opposed to what some are trying to do, which is to shut down this conversation in schools altogether so that we can't even have conversations like the one that we've had, which in spite of you know our back and forth has been, I think, a really good, productive, valuable conversation. And Excellent I appreciate the opportunity to engage in it. This is the kind of conversation that people have when they do care about that promise that we made. And all I'm suggesting is, I I think that it is dangerous for people to say, as so many do, and I'm not saying you're saying this, that, you know, people should be grateful for what they've been given. Anything that people of color have been given in this country, people of color and their white allies have fought and died for. And if we're not careful, there are those who would most assuredly take us back to days that were before that. And they make that very clear, not only in their political rhetoric, but in their political decisions. So if we're going to keep moving forward, let's do it with an eye toward acknowledging everything that you just said, and at the same time, acknowledging that the promise that we made has never really been fulfilled. We have never achieved our country, as James Baldwin said, and that's something that we all ought to be working towards, even if we disagree about how to do it. But we got to keep that in the front mirror, not just looking in the rear view, and that's what concerns me when we talk about you know the progress narrative. We have it's to go. Very we,
1: we, I'm going to read your book. We should, if I, if I read your book, you'd come on again. I think I hopefully you had a pleasant experience. Um, I, it was great. No, I really appreciate. I, this is my, my prediction.
0: My uh, prediction, as so often the case has come true. I said I I predicted disagreements, uh, slightly oh, raised voices, but at the end of the day. Uh, I think a mutual respect. Both of you uh, want the same thing, and, and as do I, as to as Periel, uh, but, but we there's some difference of opinion as to how to get there, I think. Um, thank you, Tim Wise, for joining us. Oh, you uh, you're got, in Ashville, yeah. I don't suppose you've ever been to Zaney's, the comedy club. I have been to Zane's many times. Many times. Okay, you're probably a fan of Nate Bargatze's, or at least you may know who he is. I know. I,
4: I know. I do not know Nate personally, but I know his work. Yes, absolutely.
0: absolutely. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get into whether you like his stuff. You probably do, but I don't want to make it awkward. Yeah,
4: um, no, I, 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 I do. <laughs> I think he's a funny guy. I think you're a funny guy as well. So I'm going you know to read your book, and I'm going to then I have you on again. I'm going to.
1: I'm going uh, I'll, to. I'll hopefully call you to task on some of the things in your book. But I, what I will do is I'll send you the things from your book that I wanted to talk about prior yeah. to, to having you on. So was, rather than try to ambush you with something, I'll tell you, look like this. Oh, that's
4: either way. is totally cool. I'll be happy to send you. A ambush you <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to send you a copy of a book, depending <laughs> on which one you want. I may have extras. Um, just let me know. And I'll try to get the, uh, I'll get the footnoted thing about the well, neighborhood stuff. What's the I, name don't, of I don't
1: your want, name? I'm not, i am not i am not in the, I'm not in the market. I don't like to take things for free. However, I will make an exception and take a free book if you sign it for me. I, I, I will do sign like, it. I do like having inscriptions on books. i, I Wise has a
0: whole bunch of books, going back to 2004, White Like Me, Affirmative Action, uh, Speaking Treason fluent. This guy's got some bibliography.
4: Let me the one that's 1st I'll, I'll send you the most recent one. <laughs> okay. Um, Which is an essay collection that, that was put out in 2020. And yeah, and, and I'll inscribe it and you can, You can mark it up and have me back on and we can have, you know, we can go at it again. I'd be more than happy to do it. It's been very productive. And and let me just say, uh, Dan mentioned the raised voices. I can assure you, even though we both are very, you know, passionate people, I'm sure that that was also in part the technology. You know, we, we talk over each other because we're not in the same room. We talk over each other because the tech encourages that I hope you didn't think I was being aggressive or on too the much. Mantra, of an I,
1: I didn't. I didn't detect any bad. I mean, I've had bad vibes on shows before. I sure. didn't detect sure. any
4: bad vibes here at all. Not even once. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I, hope I, did. Did. I hope you didn't. No, I didn't either. But I just never know how it comes. Uh, you know, uh, no, you no, no, just no. never know on this technology. Can
2: oh. I okay. ask a question, Dan? Yeah, do I have authority to uh, change the subject? Okay. I just. So you do are. morning here
0: in the Holy Land.
2: Okay, it'll be brief. You said you're <laughs> Jewish and you grew up in Tennessee. Yeah. How come you don't have a southern accent at all?
4: Well, I do when I'm talking to other people with one. I it is okay. a very strange thing. Like my wife has a very heavy one. When I talk to her it comes out. When I'm talking to people locally, it comes out. It just you know, because I travel a lot, my 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 accent tends to modulate. So if I go okay. to Minnesota for a week, I'll sound like I'm from there, you know, okay. but uh, it just all depends on who I'm conversing with. It's a weird chameleon like quality that is strange. I don't know why.
2: And I also, know. I want I, Timothy Wise is not quite a Jewish name. Dan, did you know that Mr. Yeah, no, Tim, Wise Tim was is, going to be a member I of think the he, tribe? I
0: think, I think his mother is is not
4: Jewish. Right. That is correct. My dad is Jewish. My mom is not. She won the battle of the names, So I got named for a new. <laughs> I got a New Testament name. I got a, I got a Christian scripture name, uh, and my my family name was not Wise either. Obviously, there are Jews with that name, but that was not ours.
2: Okay,
4: uh, something very different. Thank you, Tim, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back. Uh, podcast at
0: comedycentral.com for comments, questions, suggestions, constructive criticism. Thank you. We'll see you next time on Live at the well, Bye. Thank
2: you. Bye.